Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hello, hello, hello. I come to you from my living room. It's all about to kick off. Aaron's about to play Elden Ring. Uh, an epic. We've got 44 minutes left on the update file. My goodness. Um, I'm mentioning that just on the subject of games. Um, firstly, hello. Hello. How are you? Are you well? Are you good? Are you happy? Are you nourished? Are you hydrated? Have some water. Make a cup of tea. Whatever you want to do. Um, right. So what I'm also maybe considering doing with this podcast is something to put out there at the very beginning of this. So you are aware Assuming you don't skip the intro just to get to our delicious guests. I've started tw- uh, streaming on Twitch. Um, I can be found at uh, twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Joe Black. That's M-I-S-T-E-R, not just M-R. Um, and I'm thinking on Thursday evenings, play a little bit of a something casual and chat about the episode that came out this week. I thought that would be quite nice. Um, if you just want to gush about how much of a fan you are of the, the guests that I managed to bag... Or we can discuss further on topics. I don't know. Sometimes topics are delved into in the episode, sometimes not. Maybe you want to hear more of my dreadful, dreadful opinion on something. Um, the options are there. I th- anyway, I thought that'd be very cute. What else do I need to tell you about? Uh, I'm doing Brighton Fringe. If you are listening to this in the present day, present day being the day I'm recording this, slash releasing this, slash uh, around the end of April. 
beginning of May, perhaps. Anyway, I'm at Brighton Fringe, the 31st of May at the Brighton Spiegel Tent. And then I am at Brighton Comedia on the 6th of July. This is 2023. You might be in the future. Who knows? Anyway, absolute delight to talk to Ben de la Creme. Uh, a joy, a inspiration. They are not only a talented performer, but a very talented producer. And I believe the term workhorse can be applied here. They have a vision. They make it happen. And as you'll find out, they also hide antiques from two cats. Anyway, I'm going to hand over now to me and Ben de la Creme. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe see you on Twitch on the evening of this when this comes out. Um, or maybe I'll see you in the real world. Or maybe I'll never see you at all. Because you are a figment of my imagination. Anyway, here's Ben. Here's Bear. No, that's not who's here at all. It's Ben de la Creme! Hello, Dela. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Joe Black. How are you? I'm all right. I'm alive. This is the, um, you know, I am returning to the world of podcasts. The last ones I did were last summer. And you are the first interview I'm doing in this new series. Oh my God, I'm following Lemony Snicket. You are following Lemony Snicket. What an honor. <laughs> so it's the, oh my he, God. he was the last, you are the first. It begins again anew. And I've I've spent today sort of convinced, and I did this the whole time with the, the first lot of them, that no matter how prepared I am, that this, you know, this lovely Zoom call will open and I'll just go, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you do things. Yeah. You do stuff. I find that relatable. I um I actually did a a radio interview thing for like a re- morning radio talk show here in uh, Los Angeles yesterday and it was at 8 a.m., which is like dawn my time and I was so tired and then got there and it was like a pop culture thing where they're talking about like real housewives and shit which i know so <laughs> little about that i was just sitting there trying desperately to make any sort of coherent comment let alone humorous to an 8 a.m audience and man so i get the struggle but what i'm saying is between you and i this should be a freaking breeze oh I, that's see I, that's why i was like I well i have ben ben uh dela first i've Ben de la Creme first. Sorry, I'm just saying all the names there. Which one is it if I'm nasty? Because I am very nasty. Oh, uh, Miss Creme is... But, you know, I haven't revisited that in a while. But if you want to go there, let's... Uh, I'll, I'll go as Miss Creme for the rest oh, nah, of today. I just wanted to be nasty, you know what I mean? Um, but did you... In this <laughs> I don't in, think there's any question. <laughs> in this interview, did you just, like, pretend you knew what was going on? Or were you just sort of like... Ah! Not a clue. Oh, I literally segued to talking about a Shirley Jackson book. Like, I was so all over the place. Like, I was just, like, I took whatever topic they threw at me, and I just brought up the most irrelevant thing that I cared about, and then everybody sort of blinked at me silently. It was great. <laughs> it was great. It was a solid interview, is what I'm saying. Because, I have I mean, I'm not familiar with the these, these wives of the houses, uh, their various houses. I've seen House of the Dragon. I don't think that's the same thing. Um, no, it's slightly different vibe. Yeah, and all I, the only thing I know is that my friends, a lot of my friends are really obsessed with it. And I just, my only, the only thing I can remember is that there's the English woman, um, Lisa, in one of the. Oh, is she, Vanderpump. is she the Vanderpump? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know she's English. 
Uh, <laughs> and um, I see. I didn't even know she was English. I literally just <laughs> know the name because it's like the most recognizable name. It's, it, well, it sounds like ludicrous. a super villain. Yes, exactly. And I know that there was some woman whose husband. I don't know if it was embezzlement or tax fraud or something. Uh, and I mean, ma- that seems like a safe bet. It's probably the lot of it's, them, yeah, right? Yeah, the like, whole lot. And they made her into like yeah. a pop star type. Um, <laughs> and then my, my, my friend Alfie really, really likes it because he knows I like Frasier. Um, and at one point he's like, well, Kelsey Grammer's there at some point. They catch him having an affair. And this is really? how. Apparently so. That's the most intriguing thing I've heard about Housewives. Do you know that they're rebooting Frasier? Yes, there is like a. To bring it back. Is it in the future? Yeah, it's like the Jetsons meets Frasier. No, like, in the future, in I a... mean, like it's not like a <laughs> a reboot, like a like a, a prequel type thing. Because there was someone I, playing no, Frasier, wasn't there? No, it's the original cast. I think it's like how they re they started um, Will and Grace again. Remember, like a, nice. I don't know, like a few years back so they're just sort of like picking up with the characters which is i think a very like bizarre phenomenon that's happening with television but i'm really into it yeah i i love the will and grace one yeah i don't want to watch like the young sheldon of frazier or something i don't want to watch like (laughs) frazier babies i don't care what roz was up to as an infant you know (laughs) like what was the one that they made the babies version of well, Muppets. Muppet Babies. Is, I was going to yeah, say yeah, yeah. Rugrats Babies, and I was like, no, I've got this No, wrong. I'm always imagining the Muppet Babies version of things. It's actually one of my, like, favorite things to <laughs> fantasize about. But, um, yeah, no, but I'm also into the idea of, like, a retro-futuristic retro Frasier, which, like, it, like Seattle landscape lends itself to that, right, because it's got the Space Needle, which was, like, the World's Fair, like, making – they literally – the design of that is so funny because they drew – I'm not even kidding – the original sketches on a napkin and it's a flying saucer on top of the Eiffel Tower. That's how the Space Needle was designed. <laughs> when you say retrofuturism, uh, obviously that's that's sort of the sort of atomic living style, but my head went like Mad Max, diesel punk. And I was just imagining yes. Frasier in like some sort of monster truck with cannons on it or something. I'd die. Frasier and Niles like searching the <laughs> desert for gas. I'm so into it. We are like five minutes into this and uh, nothing about <laughs> us. It's Frasier, Will and This Grace. is what I, this is literally me on that morning radio show yesterday. Well, I was just it's like. It's an hour of this. Let's do an hour of this. Muppet Babies, Frasier, <laughs> how Megan Mullally did not change an inch in Will and Grace and everyone else had aged around her. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh my god. Right, let's She's get... a space witch. Oh, she is. I love her. Talking of space witches. Um, I mean, that's not a good segue, is it? You! I liked it. Hi! <laughs> We've, uh, we, we met, uh, originally, I don't know if you remember, we met, um, not, it's not uh, under strange circumstances, but it was un- un- unusual because, uh, season five was, I think, still coming out and you would come to London and, uh, you didn't really know anyone and you were there for like an extra day or two. And, yeah, yeah. um, the ever lovely Kenneth Lee... Uh, yes. Uh, also, uh, you know, previously of Jinx assistant fame, now Bianca tour management fame, uh, general witchery internet person. If you follow them on Instagram, it's all gorgeous. Yes, Marble Fawn thing. on Instagram. Um, so, sort of messaged and said, Taylor's in the UK. You should go have dinner. Yeah. I went, all right. It was great. How would I not remember that? That would be such a weird thing not to remember. But like the, the circumstances, I mean, you remember that we met them, but then that it was just... Dayla doesn't know anybody. Go meet my friend. It was great. I was so adventurous back then. Now I just like sleep in the hotel all day when I travel. But yeah, no, that's how I met you. And um, 
Math the drag queen, uh, currently known as me, the drag queen, and her partner Joe. That's how I met all of you guys, was just like hearing about nice people in town and being connected through friends. Well, it was, was it was me, uh, previously, Math, that brought you over to do the Black Cat, but I think that time you were doing Heaven. And do you remember that we were joined by a third person at dinner who happened to be in London? Oh my God, what? Who was it? Peaches Christ. <gasps> That's right. And we went to that a, part I had forgotten. We went that to a TGI Fridays. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you serious? See, what? Okay, yeah. you're you're right. I don't remember the details of this. Yeah, it was see, but when like when you go, so we met because a mutual friend went, hey, you should be friends. And then Peaches Christ turned up, then we went to a TGI Fridays. It was quite a day. How did we find a teacher? That's disgusting. I think it Why was, did we do we that? We just sort of wandered around, and it was that thing when you've got too many options, and you just kind of go, ah, and went in there. And that was, I had never met Peaches before, and then, because I didn't know she was there. And you said, oh, I've invited my friend uh, Joshua, or something. And oh, I was like, oh, okay. Wow. And then they turned up, and I was like, that's Peaches Christ. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Well, and then I remember I'm trying to I was trying to remember earlier today the circumstances under which I saw you perform for the first time, uh, because it was of course uh, I think quite a bit before um, you were on Drag Race, and uh, but God I I can't even remember who I was with, but I saw you perform in sort of like a smaller venue, and it was like a variety show, and there was oh. some burlesque and other drag. That was see that was a very strange. That was I was I did a lip sync that night because I never yes. lip sync, and it was the one lip sync act I'd ever made. Uh, that was for April Fool's Day. And I'm just gonna say that. You know, I we were already buddies, and I already like had quite an affinity for you, but that and I am like, you know, quite frankly, it takes a bit for a lip sync number to truly like blow my mind, but you blew my mind. Thank you just you. like blew the doors off that venue, and it was magical to watch, and I was just so excited. And I, the fact that I've never gotten to see one of your solo shows is truly devastating to me based on the fact that just a lip sync could knock me out of oh, my seat. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, what's yeah, that, what's lovely about that is, again, it's the only like lip sync thing I'd ever made, and I'm, I'm glad it had that effect. What was strange about that night as well was um, it was April Fool's Day, of course, so, you know, it was a clown-themed night. And uh, my... It was when we used CDs. Of course. Uh, we used CDs at the, the time because yep. it was a few years ago. And the CD stopped. I think it, it was... I I cannot tell you how like grateful I am that the CD era of drag <laughs> is over. It was so tumultuous. I had so many issues like that over the years. Well, what happened that night was the CD stopped and we kept trying to take it back and it just kept stopping so i just sort of in the middle of the act went hang on everyone and i left the stage went and got my ipod which had enough battery probably to play about 20 you know two minutes of a song <laughs> quick flip through because it was one of those ones that you rolled like a yeah, yeah. counter thing took it to near it and then just continued the act from midway through it was like uh, of all the the things to happen and it was still just like I mean, you didn't miss a beat with it. You still <laughs> just, I mean, there was no sense of being thrown off or be, you, I mean, you just, 
you solved the problem, and then you went right back to nailing it. Reveled in chaos. That's the way to do it. It's the only way to do it. And then in in talks of other places that we've uh, seen each other, I've been to your house on Christmas Day. (laughs) That's right. Oh, I'm so happy that you got to to be a part of that, because it's so, like, you know, every time I'm over in the UK, I'm in the midst of some sort of work situation. And that was, of course... Um, you know, it was, uh, God, I, th- I think the first year of Jinx and my holiday tour. Yes. Because it, it was 2018, was, right? Uh, I, I think so. I was doing Jingle All the Gay in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you and Jinx were doing the holiday show. No, maybe it wasn't the holiday show. Maybe it was the... Yeah, no, because the first year of Jingle was the one. first year... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, that was a, we sort of had a couple different titles under our first couple years, but it was, it was the same show. Um, But yeah, so we, uh, that was, uh, you know, I had been hosting uh, holiday parties in Seattle on Christmas Day because I'd been doing holiday shows in Seattle since like 2007 or something. And so uh, we would always take Christmas Day off and do like a big uh, party for the cast. And it was always like my favorite moment of the year Mm. was to just like have that fun sense of community where everybody's like feeling accomplished because they're kind of in the middle of something, but nobody's really thinking about work and we can all just Mm -hmm. like, and so it was so special to have you there because that feels like a very uh, kind of special annual thing um, in my life that it's just so lovely to, to share those moments with people who you only kind of see when you're on the road Mm -hmm. and everything's a little nuts, you know? And it was lovely to me because I had been away. I'd been away for like six weeks from home, and then you invited me. I was like, "Oh, how lovely!" And then I went to this <laughs> this this address, um, and I was like, well, "I think I've got the right place." And I pressed the door buzzer, and then waited, and then the door ca- opened, and you were there in some sort of festive onesie, holding a a tray of <laughs> uh, cheese or something. I don't know. Just you were like, "Cheese?" I was like, "Well, oh, cheese eat. is a safe bet." I That's can't eat dairy, but thank you. What I do remember is that I just I sort of ate <laughs> sort of ate bread all night, and then when I, like, I went back uh, to my apartment and I was just so bloated, it was not long after that I realised I was gluten intolerant actually. So maybe maybe that oh. party caused that. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful to be part of your health journey. Yeah, I know. I was like, no cheese, but have this bread. And then I add the bread, and that fucked me up as well. So actually, this interview is about accountability, Taylor. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right. The, the bread, yeah, I mean, you I think and I'm cheese. happy to hold you accountable for your bread ingestion. <laughs> that's what you're looking for. But mate, it was a lovely day, and you had a lovely home. And uh, I remember everything being very maximalist and very kitschy portraits, and lots of very. It's how I like things: is picture frames, but very close together in no particular order. Um, yes. Um, you know, taxidermy and chandeliers and all that. It was, uh, it yeah, was, that a, was a gorgeous party. Thank you. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I have to say, I when we, we moved to L.A. Uh, just before the pandemic, actually, and saying goodbye to that particular apartment was one of the hardest parts of leaving Seattle. I truly adored that Because you've been there so for I'm a long time. To come visit. Yeah, I was there for, for many years and sort of, yeah, it definitely became... Um, a physical representation of all of my loves because I was on the road for so much that I really got, I mean, my hobby became curating my home because I wanted to just love the space I came home to because I spent so little time I there, think you know? I remember you saying this when I was there and I was like, oh, what a lovely home. And you were like, that's what I do. Yeah. Um, it's it, You know, I, I think it's strange with um, 
not strange. It's interesting how different people channel, um, not to be crude about it, but finances once more success comes. It's sure. interesting to see where people place that as not necessarily a business investment, but as a uh, an enjoyment. You know, uh, uh, as, yeah. you, as as is currently in there, not that anyone can see. This sort of thing here is what I enjoy, which is a very fancy microphone. I like. It is a record. beautiful microphone for those listening right yes. now. It's Ear Trumpet Labs. Stunning. I did pay for it fully. There was no discount. Ear Trumpet Labs. Just to go look. Go look, everybody. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I like things like this. You have lovely home decor, and I think it's the, the brings the joy, doesn't it? I agree. I really do. You know, I think it's... Uh, um, I don't know. It's it's very important to feel settled in your in your space when you're when you don't get to be in it a lot. And I know that some people really find uh, that sort of joy and solace in fashion. I nothing about how I dressed uh, <laughs> changed after I started having sort of more uh, financial success. I am still somebody who wears the exact same oversized t-shirts and leggings every single day, and all of my all of my time, interests, and friends are, are better spent on my environment. Although my partner and I did not live together at that time, and now we do. And he has two of the most ill-behaved elderly cats in the entire world, which means that all of my actual fragile antiques are in storage right now, and I'm waiting. Uh, see, I've got cats, and I just... <laughs> the, the, the shit's... You know, I've got shit everywhere, because I like, you know... Shit. Like, shit, yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> clown puppets and... I don't know, I'm, I'm looking at a Mark Ryden Barbie that I bought. Uh, things like that. Like, of course. Knickknacks and uh, uh, chachkeys. And, uh, give a dog a bone. Um, mm-hmm. is, is this old man's coming home. I don't know the rest of the words. Um, it's close enough. Yeah, I do. But do you think, right, I'm gonna, this is a perfect little segue here, right? Yeah. To talk about the, the work-related things. All these things that you enjoy, this, these aesthetic that you curate at home. Does that, is that what references your work? Because I believe, like, not that they're related, you having a lovely 1960s drinks trolley is not necessarily work-related. But it's related. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm getting at, is that that kind of aesthetic is that you, you obviously don't live it in the day, or you do in the daytime in terms of your homely surroundings. But yes. is that, does your work uh, give that an outlet visually for it yeah absolutely i mean i there's definitely sort of a crossover but also a separation between my the aesthetic of my work and my home but then like i as an individual and dela are basically like opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of um dress and presentation Uh, i mean i almost exclusively wear black and gray and i very rarely will allow her to wear black you know and i think it's it's a thing where um yeah i just have this like love for like you know uh the colorful mid-century aesthetic and uh you know sort of like the 50s through 70s are just uh an era that i uh adore visually but um you know it's just it's it is it makes so much sense for me to channel this into uh my character and the worlds that I build for her 
uh, because personally, I mean, she's also like a big extroverted, loud individual, and that is also kind of not me. You mm-hmm. know, I tend to kind of like to keep a relatively low profile, I guess. Um, I'm a little more uh, uh, shy. I'm a little bit more of a, I don't know if shy is the right word, but I, I tend to be a homebody and kind of a little more reclusive. And so it's nice to be able to have that that duality you know Mm -hmm. it's like it makes it sort of I think uh it sort of allows me to feel uh more free to be an introvert in the ways I am Mm -hmm. by having this like explosion of extroversion (laughs) it it would make it more of a pleasure as well wouldn't it because if you're doing something all the time oh yeah yeah, to be able to have that like if I don't do you know uh, when you're doing a tour, for instance, and doing your makeup, you're doing every day, every day, every day, and then you have a little bit of time off, and then I get, like, excited to do it again because I'm like, I get to be creative, even though I'm doing the same old shit. It's like, yeah. I'm going to do this to my eyes. <laughs> you know, it, and I'm not someone that particularly enjoys makeup, but w- when you've got those clear breaks of stuff um, of that maybe because your personality and, and like outward style is so different from your stage persona, you know, when you give what time to one it, then it's like, Oh, it's exciting to delve back in and to. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that it's, uh, it, it's also when you sort of contain things though. I mean, one of the things that I love about sort of the drag tradition of having a very distinct character is that, uh, Right. When you I mean, people are oftentimes I don't know. I mean, this is a little bit of a diversion, but people a lot of times who sort of only know me from Drag Race and especially my first season of Drag Race are sort of like, wow, it's amazing how you can maintain this positive disposition and this positive outlook. I am literally one of the most pessimistic people you will meet. Like I am such a grump, but I love that I have this character where I can concentrate all of that and she exists so briefly like in the way you're talking Mm -hmm. about she only exists for these finite periods of time so it is possible to maintain a a positive outlook and chipperness and like this colorful over-the-top disposition because it has a beginning and an end and then Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I could you don't have to experience a full spectrum of emotions because that human is only like finite I think, you know there's because i i forget that some people with with characters that there is the clear beginning and the end of i'm in character i'm out of character is that yeah. for you has that been a kind of healthier thing and, and and made you be able to enjoy your job more because for some people i guess and i don't mean like necessarily my myself because it's my stage name is my real name and there's not really that much of a difference except from it's just more on stage sure. Um, but people that sort of live and breathe what they do all the time, uh, I imagine would gets a bit much. Have you found that with, with being able to go on off has, has been helpful? Yeah. I mean, for me, I really enjoy having that distance. I mean, for one thing, um, in terms of post drag race, the accessibility that people want Mm. to you, right. (laughs) And the, and the sort of. It is a lot to, I mean, I am so grateful for the fans who support me and who are really uh, feel connected to to me. Um, but just receiving that much energy can be a lot, you know, and it can be um, 
you know, you're you're sort of a you're holding a lot of things for a lot of people because you know, and and none of them are bad, but it's just a lot for somebody to take on. And mm-hmm. because I have this separation, I find that I'm more able to kind of receive that within this sort of character that then I don't have to sort of like bring all of that energy into my day to day. So that's like a nice way to like, it helps me compartmentalize that. But then also, you know, a lot of, again, it's like on Drag Race, some of this stuff is not as clear just because it's a TV show. But, um, you know, that character is also, she is so different from me that the way I kind of use her on stage, particularly in my like solo shows or in my uh, holiday tour jinx, is really, I mean, she's almost the opposite of me, so I get to sort of make commentary on things through her. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, she's pretty oblivious. So she's oftentimes sort of naively saying stuff that I'm actually sort of, like, Ben the artist is critiquing what Dela the character is saying almost. So Mm -hmm. that, like, the difference between the the creator and the character like that's something I always loved about Barla Jean Merman who is a big inspiration for me uh Dina Martina uh you know a lot of these drag queens of sort of you know who are like maybe whatever who are slightly older um who really you always know what the sort of author is thinking that is different from what the character is saying. And I've just always been so delighted by that dissonance and how the kind of comedy that that can lead Mm -hmm. to. So, and that is like, you know, that could only happen if my character and me were pretty separate beings, you know? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen Bala, but I've seen Dina. And it was that time that I, uh, Saw you in Seattle was Dina was yeah. doing their oh. Christmas show at. Yes. It was the first time it had gone to a big theater. And I know it was like a big thing because um, yeah. they were normally at like a, uh, a bar. Yeah, this really legendary bar in Seattle called Rebar. That Rebar, was yeah. like, I mean, and so many sort of amazing legendary queer artists had had uh, performed there over the decades. And so it was very sad when it closed down. But, um, and yeah, Dina really kept it there because it was just like this weird, everybody would crowd together for the holidays and it was just like the most bizarre kind of lo-fi kind of ragtag environment. And so, yeah, it was like a big shift when she moved to the, um, to the act theater and I didn't get to see it, but I hear that it was like, she did an amazing job. It was great. I, I, I loved it. And also I felt like I joined a cult a little bit because. Oh yes. It was like, I went with a, a group of people. And then Dina would do something, and then someone would lean in and go, just you wait. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just, like, they knew what the character was kind of capable of, so they were kind of like, ah, ah wait, wait for it. No, Dina came out, and a, in terms of the production and stuff, if it had gone from a small bar, I remember Act 2 opened, and this is the bit that's really ingrained in my mind, was the the back of the stage opened up and there was like a vintage sleigh being pulled by people in reindeer Uh costumes. And they came out and they sang Jingle Bells, but very out of breath. Um, (laughs) And when I try to explain it to people, I really feel like I'm not really selling this because I'm trying to explain how brilliant it was. And I'm trying to like do an impression of someone singing Jingle Bells out of breath and like they can't do it. And people are looking at me like I've lost my mind. I'm like, no, no, no. But in context, this is very good. It's just me going. (laughs) But it was hysterical. And it was, they were wearing two different shoes. The dress wasn't done up. Um, It was, (laughs) it was phenomenal. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, Dina is so impossible to explain, but if you see her 
she's like a perfect example of the character is such a mess and so oblivious but the actor behind her and the who is also the writer behind her is so smart mm-hmm. and you see that come through every moment every moment is so like specifically executed even though it's kind of a moment of this character getting something horribly wrong at every turn <laughs> yeah because which is why it's so funny what's clowning clowning is that you know when stuff goes wrong or things Things that there's a difference between things being bad and intentionally bad. So Dina will be bad, or um, uh, what's what's the other word I'm trying to think? Of? Basically, like un unable un- to do something, but we'll do it anyway. But it's how cleverly it's constructed that makes it yes. brilliant and entertaining and very funny. The difference yes. of someone trying it who just can't do it. It's even though they may do the same thing, it's something about the delivery and the packaging of it, and it's just uh, just ever so clever. It just it takes someone absolutely brilliant to do something wrong brilliantly. Yes, I, yeah, I, I because think... you can really see the specificity. Like you know, like they're, you know, you you you, with that kind of thing, you can just see it's all infused with this, these moments and these comedic beats that are about something going wrong, but they're so clearly executed that you're like, oh, somebody really understands what they're doing here, you know? Yeah. So, and then, because you've got a, a very, um, from an outside perspective, I don't know if you feel like you're falling apart on a daily basis, but uh, <laughs> really, really specific, um, lovely details, well-written, put-together things. Like, you, you I, I saw Inferno with Go-Go, Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen the Jinx and Dela holiday show, and I've seen you do um, a couple of club appearances. What I get from you, and please, of course, tell me if I'm wrong, you know, say you're a liar, <laughs> you're a cheat, you're a slapper, get out of this. Whatever zoo. you say, I'm going to redirect to the rest of my career based on this feedback. So. <laughs> I, okay, this is my assumption. Uh, that, that this is a bit of a sentence here, so don't think the beginning bit is is the full assumption. Okay, great. I'm really leading this on. I'll just sit back and soak it in. I don't believe that you have learnt your craft through drag. I believe that Bende la Creme was formed from burlesque and cabaret. And I, without even knowing what shows you had done, I can just tell by a style. And I can tell by the way that you approach work. Am I correct? Yes, 100%. And I would expand beyond that, that it's even... Like, I don't, I did not come up developing my work really in a drag world at all. I was inspired initially by some of those drag queens I mentioned. Like, sort of, uh, when I was in high school, I really, uh, the Wigstock documentary, the original one came out, um, and I sort of became aware of this amazing New York (coughs) drag scene that was, uh, honestly for lack of a better term, way weirder than the drag that's happening now. <laughs> it was just because there was no sort of like monoculture of drag in the way there is now. So everybody was just making up something different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very inspiring to me. But then, yeah, when I started uh, really kind of building my craft, I mean, I, I went to school actually for fine arts. Like I don't have any theater background or anything like that. I went to school for sculpture and painting. So uh, I will say that I think my education with that really does play into it because it was a lot of 
the school I went to was like, yeah, 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 we can teach you how to hold a paintbrush, but more than that, we're going to teach you how to like develop ideas mm-hmm. in this way. That's and I think how the these fact, go. yeah, I, but I think the fact that that is how I learned how to develop an idea is kind of why it's right. Like it's different from the way that somebody with a specific drag background or a specific theater background it's a different like mode of thinking but then once I got into it yeah I was like in the world of of burlesque and cabaret I actually worked with quite a few contemporary dancers and circus artists and so all of that kind of was absorbed and it really you know I was pretty I had done a lot of the sort of drag club world when I was younger and it just really didn't resonate so I sort of moved out of it yeah, and I, <clears throat> how I could tell that, and I'm trying to think of a way uh, that doesn't sound offensive to people in the drag world. Um, you were quite uh, fully formed. It, it, it is is it, I think sort of the 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 drag, sort of typical drag clubs and circuit stuff. It's kind of in that moment. It's very entertaining. Someone's throwing themselves around, you know, ta da! Um, you know, it can be clever. It can be political. It's uh, a lot of it is quite. It's very self-contained is just what it is. Whereas I think what uh, you, you had sort of clear beginning, middle and ends. It was your, your act to me from what I'd seen online before I saw you in person was everything was constructed like a burlesque act. So yeah. it was you, you had yeah. this short set of time. And even if you were lip syncing, there was the clear setup, the middle and then the payoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not so much. St- I mean, I say stunts. You have that lovely burlesque uh, routine where you. <laughs> the, the, the breasts keep changing um yes. uh, and and if there are you know drag people listening to this i'm not slagging you off um but watch things that aren't drag because inspiration can be taken from bloody anywhere oh absolutely you know i mean i think it's like i think that some people especially people who are not part of the drag world or maybe less familiar with it they 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 kind of think of it being as one sort of vibe but I always think of drag as like I mean drag is like painting which can be classical or abstract or cubism or pointillism like it can look like a million Mm -hmm. different things it's just the tool you're using you know and then the style with which you do it can go anywhere and I do think that um yeah and of course like painting you have to draw from the world around you you're reflecting what you see so i do think yeah the more you can go out there and find different references different things that inspire you the more your work is going to look like your own unique perspective and one thing that i think we are really seeing is that you know i mean when i started doing this the internet was not as big a thing and certainly social media wasn't and now that we all have access to kind of uh, seeing the same things, mm-hmm. seeing uh, makeup tutorials or, you know, just kind of repeat viewing stuff, of course our work is going to look more and more like other people's work. So anyway, I'm just, I, I am s- agreeing with what you're saying. You, you, but you Get said out there it, and see You more. said it much better than me. Yeah, you, we, we absorb what we see. And if you see a lot of the same things, you become the same things. And the more you see, the more you find what reflects you what what you you absorb by osmosis of of what resonates with you and is you know i very now i very i see something and i go pay me that is or in, in fact i think i've made it so clear what i enjoy that friends will send me pictures of things and go 
That's a bit of you. Yes. Uh, and they're yeah. usually pretty correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you know, sort of aunties and my mum and stuff. My mum would just sort of, I don't know, see a clown and be like, you like that, don't you? But it would be like <laughs> a nice, happy, like little cartoon drawing of a kid's party clown. And I was like, ah, not, 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 not necessarily mother but i enjoy your, your point um it was just you know someone will send me some i i for a while i kept being sent there was a ventriloquist dummy of marlena dietrich in a oh vintage God. shop in hastings and it was just in a window and people kept sending me it but then was like oh i just saw this online and i didn't know where it was and then i found out it was hastings but i don't it's not there now otherwise i would have gone there and bought the fucking thing um, but I got that a lot. So, uh, I yeah, think... I mean, that sounds uniquely like, I mean, that, that would absolutely make me think of you <laughs> if I ever were to cast but, eyes upon it. But it, 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 I mean, in terms of branding and stuff and sort of a, a, absorbing things um, and making it clear what you like. That's also this has turned into an advice column, unsolicited advice. People were just trying to listen to a conversation um, <laughs> that, you know, you make it clear what you enjoy and what you do and then. I think the aim should always be that people can look at something and go, that's very Dela, that's very Joe, that's very yeah. Dina. You know, they can look at something and go, not that exactly. could be one of these 15 people. Yes. It could yeah, be. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really astute observation. Like yeah. like the way, whenever I see the, um, there's that, is it a, a meme of a chihuahua in a in a wig and giant with giant tits in? I go... <laughs> And eyebrows drawn on her, up its face. I go, that's Crystal Versace. You, you, you just... Branding. Branding. That is so important. Yeah, every time I see a traffic cone, I'm like, oh, jinx. Yeah. <laughs> Bang. Um, <laughs> what you did as mean because she, she got hit by a car, As soon as she right? started popping on that orange hair all the time, it was like oh. so much about her character, uh, Crystallized. Oh. And it's just like <laughs> one visual thing. But she, when we first started working together, she was, and this was the same on season five, uh, she was like rotating through like blonde and brunette. And she was like, I don't know what I am. And I was very adamant that I thought Jinx was a blonde. And then she got that orange wig and I was like, oh no, she's oh, a traffic th cop. This whole time I thought you meant because she got hit by a car. Oh, well that too. <laughs> That's why I went bang. Um, I thought you. Oh were... no! I thought that you were just like setting an intention for yourself. Oh no! I no! I oh god! You were talking about <laughs> hair color. I was thinking about road accidents. No, but isn't it lovely when you start to refer to one thing and then realize that your metaphor works on multiple levels? Yeah. So it's it's just sort of the color of danger, really. Yeah. It's uh, all of it. It's I all think, of it. I like you know whenever anyone sees Jinx, they're like danger, because um, she's the best. <laughs> Um, love her dearly. <laughs> but you, so I've, in terms of, well, Jinx as well, is, is the shows that I've seen, um, are quite, they're very, um, far, a mistake that I think other people make, uh, again, it sounds like I'm just slagging people off. People who have been on a particular TV show, I think are quite scared to let that go. Um, and. You're, you're talking about 16 and Pregnant? Yes. Yes, yeah, yes, because okay. they just, the, the kid keeps just finding them again. Um, they yeah, can't I let know. it it's go. Like you try to leave it in an elevator, and, <laughs> you know, nothing. A bus stop. Or, um, you know, but, uh, oh, the face Dola just made. I'm shaking uh, my head inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> is that people were quite seem to be quite scared of letting it go. Um, but you, in your work, are not. Um, you know, it's every work is fresh and new and, 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 and is about you and your art. 
And I think that's really great. And I think everyone should be doing that. But it's scary. And Well, I also think I'm very lucky in that um, I am of an age and a generation. And I started doing drag at a time where it was like, I mean, I had been doing drag for a decade before drag race was really even on my radar. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't part of me, my, how I formed myself as an artist, you know what I mean? And I do think, uh, that really, uh, was, I mean, I'm just, I'm really grateful for that because I had to find who I was as a drag queen without that template. Mm -hmm. And I also had to, because I had that time, I knew exactly what I wanted to create like yeah. I knew you know I mean I've developed my skills a lot but I I already had my uh I'd really developed like my aesthetic what I loved what I wanted to explore through that and um and I, I think it's honestly I don't envy younger people who are getting into drag now who it is harder to forge your own path because you are being inundated with kind of the same imagery all mm -hmm. the time you know absolutely um yeah no, I think so, I, 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 I mean, I had, awesome. a, I had a similar thing that I, I uh, which actually I think was to my detriment ultimately is that I very much um, knew exactly who I was and what I wanted to do. And I'm not moving from that. I'm not willing to move or nudge because I know exactly what uh, I want to do um, yeah. in terms of my own aesthetic, my own style what and what I do, which I guess doesn't necessarily translate to a competition environment that has a very particular template but I, I think in, in the real world that really helps and so your your solo shows so we, you've had so you've had Inferno a go-go terminally delightful uh Cosmos yeah. Cosmos Cosmos Cosmos, the, that's, yeah. That's the joke, isn't it? Was that it was all yes, it cos is. atomic living, you know, but also a drink. Um yes. and <laughs> uh was, um ready to be committed. See, I'm yes. just these are not on notes, by the way. I'm really impressed. I'm, I'm going really impressed. so I'm going through this and then we're jinx to the, the holiday special, of course. Yeah. Uh yeah, those are the those are the the big four solos and um yeah, ready to be committed. I was just in the UK with that uh this last year. Um, and I have to say, you know, it's really, that's the other thing is it's just, I, Terminally Delightful was the first one. Uh, I'm proud of it. I worked very hard on it. Like, I think it was like a very good show. It was well, people responded to it well, but every single one of my shows, I'm like, oh my God, that's so much better than the last thing I made, you know? Yeah. And it really just is like getting into it and doing it and like working really hard and people are, I've had a lot more and more Queens are doing solo shows now and I have a lot of them be like, how do I do it? But how do I make it really good? And I'm like, you just have to make like several bad ones first. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like making not great work is like part of the process of making really good work. Oh, yeah. and, and I mean, this is why people do preview shows as well uh, or, exactly. or scratch shows, you know, work in progress, that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you saying that each one was better than the last and that should be it because you've grown as a person, as an artist, yeah. as, a, as a human. In general, your experiences when you did um, Terminally Delightful are not the same experience as you as the next one or the one after that or the one after that. Yeah. You know, it it should show your growth in the audience. Assuming, you know, assuming they're along for the ride, they're growing with you. So it, I think that, that, that that's great because you have that journey together and you may, you know, within a space of 10 years, there might be some fans that drift away, not because they hate you, but because they find other interests. But then... Your new because they grow less interesting over time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they should be 
death would be too kind. Punch. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh god, you went for punch, and I went for death would be too kind. Very different people, aren't we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the version of yourself that you become later then attracts other people. Do you know? It, it's it's like ah, oh, these ones leave, but then these ones come, and then those ones go, and then these other ones come, and it. it I just and that's the the thing with yours is that so I've never been to the Laurie Beachman Theatre in New York, but that seemed to be the one that I noticed everyone was doing in New York when they were doing a yeah. a New York run. It was always at the Laurie Beachman Theatre, and now you're doing huge, ridiculous, gigantic theatres across the USA. You're doing gigantic theatres in the United Kingdom uh, with you and Jinx at least, and then doing fairly lovely theatres uh, with your solo ones because you are, I don't know what sort of size you're doing for your solo ones but the one with Jinx was at the Palladium which is yeah 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 no, we were playing huge houses with Jinx it's really been like amazing what that teaming up has been able to sort of I mean people just foam at the mouth for a pair of drag queens who have a good dynamic you know but um <laughs> but yeah no I was playing some like lovely houses with the solo stuff I don't know I was like hovering in the i think in the uk it was like hovering around like i don't know 700 seats for That's, stuff which is still like it's amazing pretty yeah it's 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 a bigger step than the lorry beachman but i also loved the beachman i love those intimate small spaces you know just at some point you like your craft becomes more expensive so you have to figure out how you can fund what you're doing well you've done that and it's also i guess to to a degree there's been sort of a a glass ceiling for a while and people mm -hmm. keep shattering it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people are, you know, the, the the venues people are, you know, you and Jinx at the Palladium, Bianca at Wembley, it, it you know, Sasha at the Hammersmith Apollo. It, it just, the venues that would have never before had shows like that are are doing it. And I think, you know, you, you, because you started producing, um, and I think that's where I mean you're always a producer, but in terms of these solo shows touring, yeah, yeah, is that yeah beforehand? I guess it would have been you know early days of uh, I'm talking post drag race here because obviously you you know you were doing what you did for a very long time, but in terms of an international pl big platform, mm -hmm. you know you were brought over to say do a, a club set for so and so, and then that turns yeah. into someone brings you over to do your full length show in. Maybe not ideal venues, and somebody brings her over to do it in nice venues, and then it just keeps going up and up and up and up, and it's never, never quite. You, ne you ne never stay settled. It's always up in the game, up in the game, up in the game. And at what point yeah, did I mean, you, uh, as a producer, go right? Let's do this. Let's. I'm. I'm gonna take the reins of this. Yeah. Well, you know, it was really. Uh, it was really. So I guess I had my. I was producing a lot of shows in Seattle pre-Drag Race. And after, you know, season six, I continued to produce local shows, but on a smaller scale. And, but season six, I sort of really got kind of, you know, I mean, that was also early enough in the franchise that we were all kind of like, oh, okay, this is what the Drag Race machine is sort of doing is then you get to go and do all these like club gigs all over the place. And so I just kind of was like, all right, derp to derp. I just kind of like wandered into that because it seemed like what you do, you know? Mm. And I had fun at those. Um, I had, you know, I got to see a lot of cool places and meet a lot of cool people. And, um, and you know, those gigs can really be a joy. But I really 
was most passionate about the kind of work that I was producing in Seattle, but had no idea how to do it on a larger level. And mm -hmm. I really, like, I started doing those solo shows that I would bring to um, the Beachmen, and then I did Summers in Provincetown because I already had a longstanding relationship with that um, town and those venues. But, like, kind of doing it on a larger level was I kept trying to, like, get people – I was like, I have all these great shows. Let's get them out there. And people were kind of like, eh, I don't know if there's like a market for that. Let's put you in another nightclub. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah. really, I was being represented by people who didn't necessarily understand my larger vision for myself and what I could see as the possibilities. And so um, after All Stars, I really just decided, you know, I mean, part of why I eventually went on All Stars, even though I like was very reluctant to do it for a while, was... I was, I was like, you know, if I do this again, I can kind of rechannel this energy and I don't, I'm not going to rely on other people this time because now I've seen that other people don't really understand my vision for mm -hmm. myself. So after All Stars is really when I started producing on a higher level and it's when, uh, you know, I really started to get to work thinking about if I'm going to be able to really get this stuff out there the person who believes in it most is me. Yeah. So I started working with my very good friend, uh, Kevin, who uh, I had worked with in theater for many years, but we decided we were going to start co-producing things. And my partner, Gus, who has a very good business mind, and the three of us just started routing these tours. And, you know, the first year Jinx and I did the holiday tour, we were playing <coughs> in some pretty small nightclubs just in the U.S., and it was – you know, we were, you know, changing in little closets and like hoping 150 people might come see us. And, you know, five years later, like you said, we're at the Palladium, you know, and it's really just uh, it's a lot of work to self-produce. But, man, having full creative control mm -hmm. and not having to answer to anyone who would anyone else who would be producing you who's maybe like, eh, I don't think that's marketable. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is marketable. So I'm just going to throw my own self behind it, you know? And it's been one of the most rewarding decisions I ever made. And I'm so, so glad that, uh, that I didn't buy other people literally telling me there was no market for what it was I wanted to do, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I and, and I think that's the, the, the pro uh, did you refer to it as a mono something culture? I really liked what you yeah, said. Yeah, a monoculture. Monoculture. Um, I think that, you know a particular machine has been made, and it's it's uh, a series of people in power trying to put everyone within the same boxes or through the same process, and that doesn't work for everyone. Um, yeah. And if it doesn't fit into that, they go, "Well, that I'm not sure if that's possible." But you know, I I think I've even had this myself where I've been. I mean, afterwards, I mean, I've never really spoken about this um, in, a, in a in a public sense, but I I you know this is just a conversation between me and you. No one else is going to yeah, listen to this. Exactly. Um, I went absolutely um, fucking mad after Drag Race, um, and I don't. You know, most of us do. Yeah, most absolutely. of us go nuts. I like. I was like, who am I? What the fuck am I doing? Like, what is going on? And uh, there, I, I never pandered particularly, but I would have moments when whenever I made a decision, I'd be like, oh, uh, but is that what people expect from me? And luckily, I wasn't on it long enough really to, to, to set any kind of expectation of what I did on the show because I just sort of appeared and then left. I got given sure. the platform, essentially, and then showed two things, you know, two, three yeah. things. 
Um, but people know your face and you get the main name recognition. I mean, yeah. Drag Race is a stepping stone. And if people treat it as an end game, it's like that, you know, that's not, that that's not what it is. Well. <laughs> um, you know, you, you get to use it and channel it. Uh, but what it says that I, you know, I went mad and I kind of thought that I needed to pander. And then a lot, you know, people would, you know, luckily I'm with the loveliest manager who really like, they knew me before. They know exactly what I want. And whenever I want to do something, they just go, yep, that, you know, yeah. you, you do you. There's no, um, they'll help with business things. But in terms of creative stuff, they'll, they'll have like nice input and stuff and go, oh, why don't you do this? And it's maybe something I hadn't thought of that helps what I do. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that I considered pandering for a bit and then was like, no, I can't do that. I just, I just know I'll be unhappy because I'm a very sensitive artist type. Um, oh, I hear you, no. sister. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, my last tour in particular, so this was sort of uh, insight for people listening. My last tour, Club Cataclysm, uh, was peak just before it was post the Drag Race Season 2 tour. So I had been for three months performing for an audience that purely liked the TV show for the, for the yes. most part. So oh. there was the, like, the odd, you know cluster of people that liked individuals but it was a lot of people who mostly actually couldn't remember our names that just liked the tv show you know yes um th- i remember there was some people waiting outside the stage door once and then they were like they said are you one of the drag queens oh that, my that god was it, it's you know. so oof it is that's oh man it and it drives me nuts and it's oh, so Especially when people are like, oh, my God, I love you. I'm your biggest fan. And it's like, oh, cool. I have a show tonight. Are you coming? Oh, no. And I'm like, (laughs) well, I think you're a fan of the show. And you might be a little confused. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can be a fan of the show. And I support that for you. But don't get it mixed up with being a fan of us as individuals. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was walking through central London with Jinx uh a few years ago and this is when jinx was doing a big run at soho theater and they were there for like three weeks or something ridiculous and this girl ran up screaming oh my god i'm your biggest fan and then she said what are you doing in london and jinx was like three weeks at soho theater not one night that's a surprise appearance three weeks at soho theater but doing anyway doing that tour for three months and then i was doing my one and then i sort of completely lost the fucking plot and then, so I went into Club Cataclysm the other way, whereas I was, I, I thought, well, no, I need to pander because I had spent so long with that kind of audience that I just snapped just before it. And I went, no, fuck them, fuck them all. So, <laughs> and then the whole show turned into like, I was like purely what I wanted to do. And I remember putting it all together and going, if they don't like, they can fucking leave. Like angrily writing all this stuff down and sorting out the set lists, going, "Yep, they can leave. Fuck them. If they think I'm gonna do this, then they can fight." Like re- I really, really angry and really like put myself in a really bad headspace. And then I did the show, and it was my favorite show I've ever done with some of the best audience reactions because I think it was so clear that I'd done completely 100% myself, and there was no mm. moments that you could see me go dead behind the eyes because I was doing something I didn't want to do. And I think for every artist whether they're to- if they're told this isn't marketable this isn't this is if you do exactly what you want to do if it is good work then that's clear to the audience and audiences don't always know the breadth of what they might be interested mm-hmm. in because they haven't been given it in order 
to find yeah, out. You and know that's what how I mean? they find so, out they're interested. Exactly. And I, you know, I think it is uh, a thing where a lot of people uh, love you know, the queens from the show, but they maybe want to go in there and, you know, hear them say we originated the language or mention H&M or whatever bullshit, mm -hmm. right? And it's like they go in there wanting that, but then if we give them exactly who we are, they come out being like, oh, man, I had no idea. But And the mm -hmm. best part for me is when Drag Race fans – drag somebody to the theater kicking and screaming who's like i don't like drag i don't care about mm -hmm. this whatever and then you put on a show and they're like you win those people over right because yeah. what you're doing is so not what they understood drag to be and and to me that's the biggest part of how you build an audience right like yeah. drag race is the hook you get them in there and then and then you give them something entirely new that they never knew they would be excited to see, and they come back again and again and again because they won't see it anywhere else. Yeah, and I, that bringing someone else in, that to me is always one of the most uh, pleasing things as well. When you get that message going, I brought my husband. You know, he he doesn't like any of this sort of stuff, but he said he had the bat. you know, or he's yes. never seen something like that before. And I thought, what I find really funny, I mean, you might have this with your references, is that you'll do something that's for you, just part of your, like, you just know what it is. And then you, you do it, and people go, what's that? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'll do uh, Amsterdam, Jacques Brel, for instance. And people go, uh -huh. what was that Amsterdam song? I was like, oh, it's this. It's quite an old song. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly they're like, I'm going to look up Jack Brown. And they, and they go off and do it. Or like, I mean, I, I can't think of like a particular reference. I mean, when I saw Inferno a go-go, there was always like the, the circles of hell. And then maybe yeah. people didn't realize that each one represented a different thing. And then they've walked away from that one. That's the, That was the quickest reference I could come up with, actually, just off the top of my head there. I mean, people might know about the circles of hell, but maybe they didn't know that each circle was a different thing yeah no and i you know it was it was cool to go in with inferno and sort of have it be a thing where if you have read that text there were a lot of specific jokes for you in that show and little references that would be specifically satisfying for somebody who were who was familiar but if you had not like you know and i really think about that i with all of my shows i'm like if you have certain information I'm going to give you jokes that cater to you, but I'm also really going to assume that most people have no idea what this source material actually is. They probably heard about it in high school and didn't read it, you know? And, uh, and so I always want to sort of create content that is satisfying either way. And yeah, and where you do come away sort of with a little bit of a broadened idea. And that's my, I mean, that's my favorite thing about the sort of, dragon camp sensibility that i do is that it's so colorful and sparkly and goofy and over the top that people can be drawn into it in this way where then you can kind of go into sort of trickier more challenging subject matter and they'll like go with you because you've already kind of pulled their guard down and they're maybe not ready for it but then they'll like go on a journey that maybe and makes they, them think and they trust you, know, you. yeah yeah they, exactly i mean they, that's what comedy does, and it, I love it. Well, I tr you know, I trusted you in Inferno a Go-Go, and then you made me cry. Yes. 
that's that's, that's the one two punch that's yeah my it's just i mean not that i mean i don't know if you're gonna uh, do the do the show again because you moved on to pastures new but there is a particular moment in the show that i was it's one of those things when you're having a nice time with something and ha 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 and i think uh, the golden girls is straight away the example i can think of where it's ha 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 and when something very sad happens it's even sadder because it's surrounded by ridiculousness yeah. Well, and, and you also trust the person because they've like taken care of you all night as an audience member, right? And I like do go into this sad subject matter and I let it like sit for long enough to like have the feeling and then I pull it back out into something very silly. Like, you know, I hope that in those shows the audience and and the sense I you know, the response I get from people is that I do build a sense of people trusting that I will take care of them and that if yeah. I lead their, them somewhere difficult, I won't leave them there, you know? Yeah, again, Golden Girls. I've been watching a lot of it lately. <laughs> and that, that's exactly what they, I mean, you know, that's a classic camp comedy thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. I, can you, I don't know if you can hear it, but one of my cats is going absolutely ballistic and is just screaming at a door because they're locked uh, out. So I can, I can just say, <laughs> I can't hear it, but I'm familiar with that cat sound. We have one who does the exact have, same thing. Have you, have you got one fat, angry one and then one deranged one? Oh, my God. Yes. Well, we, we, are we the same Wait, person? really? Yes. You, yes, we have one that is just, like, the only reason he, like, lumbers out of his bed is to not only scarf down his own food, but to knock the other one out of the way to eat his food as well. And then <laughs> Wayne, the skinny nuts one, literally just jumps all over the house. He's the reason all of my antiques have to be in storage. He's totally out of his mind. He's a demon nightmare, but he's, and he will, he's one of those cats that will lock eyes with you and slowly push your favorite possession <laughs> off the table. But he also is the sweetest, most affectionate cat in the whole world. And it is, I mean, honestly, it's abusive. Yeah, th this is exact, no, the, the exact same situation. So <laughs> the fat, angry one, Klaus, will eat Egon's food. Um, and Egon is deranged. I'll just I'll pick him up sometimes and go, "What is wrong with you?" Just under the <laughs> arms, but you know when they sort of hang there like a like a little rag doll. I go, "What is wrong with you?" And then ten minutes later, he's on my lap, and I'm like, "Oh, you're the light of my life." As he's well, see, I'm not away. even. I have to say, I'm not a cat person. These are my cat, my step cats. Like you know, they <laughs> I I I, I took on. them on when Gus and I got together. And I would not probably have welcomed these cats into my home if they did not have a prior relationship. But I have grown to love them in and a very they, specific way. And they've way. grown to tolerate you. They've grown to abuse me with the same uh, vigor and <laughs> that the they same do, dirty tricks they've been doing for years. <laughs> right. There's uh we are coming towards the end and there's two things that in season series or oh, season series. What is it when it's audio? Is it series? I don't fucking know. For what? Um, Wait, what? Podcast? TV? This, what are we this, this, about? yeah. Podcast. Series. Podcast. Oh, I think it's series. I don't know. Well, in, you're in, supposed to know that I don't have a podcast. You have a podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. You had a whole <gasps> series slash season to figure this out. I did. Um, I think it's series. <laughs> anyway, in the moment, it escaped me. I can Google these things. Um, other search platforms are... No, they're not, are they? Oh, dear. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Whatever you say, I'm going to believe because I don't know. So. Well, anyway. 
this is the things. That, I mean, two questions that I asked everyone. It was a total accident last time. It just came up in conversation. And I want to keep this running through. Ooh, la, is, la, okay. There's two. So two things. The first one, you know, not necessarily where does it go from here, but like, what are the dreams, the ambitions, like, what what do what do you want? Yeah, isn't that the question of every lifetime? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's the last couple years have been such sort of a clear. Uh, I mean, obviously having everything so derailed in the pandemic and then sort of, I don't know, things things really took a very specific shape for me that culminated in last year being, I mean, I was on the road for nine months and then I was out of, like away from my home for two months of working on other productions. And so it was just like a year of like catch up and making all the things happen. And now I get to be back in sort of like the brewing space of mm -hmm. like what the next projects are, which is always very exciting and also totally like terrifying right like you're back to staring at a blank page after having all the success but um but yeah so i mean we're already in pre-production for next year's holiday show because that's how big it's gotten so we start like <laughs> january 1st planning the next year um so i'm working on that with my uh the rest of my production company and then um i also have uh something that is coming out this year that was a big production I worked on last year that I cannot say what it is yet but it will be manifesting this year and I'm really excited for the are, world to see that are you able see. to in in what uh I don't want to be one of those people that tries to get something out of you in the in the series like... medium in the uh, working working within the uh the the medium of I guess I don't know television series but it's for streaming so um it a visual video type media. That's yes, that. Yes, yes. yes. it's porn. something it's to be porn. consumed with your eyes. And your, yes, pornography. <laughs> You're launching an OnlyFans. Well, that's what's next. Uh, and then, um, and then right now I've got um a few projects on the uh that I'm working. I'm currently. I've never know. I don't understand. I'm so new to Hollywood that I actually never understand how much. Oh, or how of course, you moved. To talk you moved well. Like you were talking about this earlier. Um, yeah, the, the, you, you've 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 gone to the big, you know, with all the lights, you know, the lights of Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> but in a very vague way, I'm working with like pitching things right now, like projects that have sort of been in development that I'm currently that working with pitching. The most Hollywood thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I know. You know, we're we're just we're having conversations. I was just <laughs> I'm gonna go off. I was just before we before we spoke. I've been listening to the. I don't know if you've seen it, The Last of Us. Um, I have not. Everyone's talking oh, about it incessantly. Brilliant. But there's a podcast about the production of it. And mm. it was just, I was listening, listen, sort of like there listening to it. And it, I, the, how it sort of came about was someone met someone and they went, how do I get this made? And they went, well, you know, they want to know my next project. And they just walked into an office. They told them and they went, hey, we'll make the series. And I was like, cool, this Hollywood is wild. You just go it into is a wild. building and tell someone you want to do something. And they say, sure, or no. And then you ask someone else. Yeah. I what mean, that's it? basically exactly what it is. That's what I'm in the process of right now. <laughs> and it is wild. It's just, very strange. I just, entertainment strange that uh, you can have a conversation with someone and then your wildest dreams can happen or not. Yeah. That's mad. Yeah. Then, no, it's... Or you can make it yourself. 
Well, it really is. I mean, either way, it's just about gumption and putting yourself out there and being willing to risk failure, right? So that's that's always my advice to everyone because whether you're pitching something to somebody or you're self-producing or whatever, you just got to go out there and be like, yeah, it's totally scary and I'm going to do it anyway. And the worst that can happen is they say no. The other option is that it just doesn't happen. So either people say no or something doesn't work out or you just don't do it. So I, I, I think it's probably better to just do it. And if it works brilliant if it doesn't you did it and the other bad thing that can happen is that you can make something and it can be bad and people cannot like it right but even that then you still did it you put something out there all these people are sitting around criticizing stuff on their couch you did the work you know and the next thing you do is gonna be better yeah and you learn from that so we're we're, see we're we're, this is positive affirmations like hey (laughs) you might be a piece of shit but at least you tried yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing I want to ask is, and this is, it's, it's quite open. Um, but do you have a very favorite thing you've done? Something that has filled you with such immense pride in, oh God. in your art. It doesn't have to be one, one thing. It can be a, a few things, but just the things that you look and you go, oh my God, I'm so happy. And it doesn't, not for financial success or viewership success, just something you've made that you've gone like. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, I mean, I do know. And also I feel like I'm just sort of talking about the same stuff. And also it feels like, I mean, I just feel, so I've been, I have been working in this medium for um, 20 years now. And it was a lot of years of trial and error and uh, spending more money than I was making and working a bunch of other jobs to make it happen and the work being not necessarily great. And I mean, I think that uh, rather than like one project I'm so proud of, I have to say like, I kind of, it's like, I'm really proud of what we've been able to build with the Christmas tour, like Mm -hmm. in terms of building a production company so quickly, it's like what we've, like what I've been able to pull off as a producer is like beyond what I ever actually thought I would be able to do with that. Um, I think uh, my last solo show ready to be committed, I think is one of my favorite things I've ever written. And I'm really like so proud of the work behind it and the audience response. And then I also, so my, um, my show that's based on like haunted house films of the sixties, uh, Gaylord Manor is something that I haven't been able to remount since the pandemic shut it down. But, um, it's another project that I'm just so proud of. It's the first like full play that I ever wrote. And so I know that's like a big broad thing, but what I'm proud of about them is that they connect with audiences and I get real emotional responses from people. I make people laugh a lot. And then I'm always, all three of those projects, I've had a lot of people tell me this really meant something to me. This really elicited some genuine emotion in me and made me feel more connected. And that... I think my big point of pride is that I worked for all of these years not succeeding at that and now it's like really starting to move and it's and it feels so good and it's also constantly scary because I'm like all these things are working what if the next thing doesn't but you know it's one foot in front of the other and um yeah it's I think it's like I don't know short answer after long answer uh hanging in there sticking with it continuing to try 
I, you know, I, that's I kind of what I'm proudest of. The, the things that link those uh, from what you're saying to me is that they're all they're all born from genuine passion for the thing. Yeah. That you are, yes, you are making, yeah. and also all of those things uh, involve a lot of other people. Um, yes. Not just saying that from production sense that it makes it easier because there's more people, but I mean that you get to work with people you clearly love while doing yes. something you love. So I, I've, that's, that's, that's a winner, isn't it? Like getting to do what you love, making things you love with people you love to audiences yeah. that love you. And, and that, co- and that collaborative process too, I cannot under understate like the value of it. Cause it's, it's the same as like what you're talking about, right? Like go out there, see more stuff to draw inspiration from, but also surround yourself with other audio, with other artists you you that you respect who bring something new to your perspective, right? Like that's also a huge part of broadening what it is you do. So that's also and it something improves you as an artist. You'll you'll learn from each other. Exactly. Right. Exactly. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. It's been a total delay. I'm so glad that we could make this time to chat. And I'm honored to be the first interviewee of season slash series two. (laughs) I think you'll be episode one as well. I'm going to make this chronological. This is going in order. Delightful. (laughs) Thank you very much, Dayla. Say goodbye, Dayla. Goodbye, Dayla. That was me and then de la creme, de la creme, de la creme. Absolute pleasure. I find, uh, do you know, you just, uh, you, you meet these people and you see these people and you just know that they're good eggs. Dale is one of those. You just get nothing but good vibes. Even if they're slagging something off, good vibes. I'd take it from them. If they looked at me and said, Joe, you're a piece of shit. I go, do you know what? You're right. Because they've got a, they've got a truthful face. They've got a kind face. Anyway, episodes out every Thursday for the foreseeable until I can stop convincing um, famous people to talk to me. <laughs> uh, I'm ready for our guest next week. Uh, are you ready for our guest next week? Um, I'm very excited. I hope you're very excited. It's time to ruffle some feathers Anyway, it's uh, it's been lovely chatting to you. Uh, well, chatting around you when you just sort of listen in. Uh, be well. Uh, be good. And if you can't be good, be absolutely despicable. But in like a good way. Anyway, uh, goodbye. Goodbye. S- goodbye, friend. Give my best to... Uh, give my best to Susie. All right. Goodbye now. Goodbye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.